Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP. I am uh, currently aboard the Starship Enterprise uh, E-D-D. Enterprise D, right? Yes. They're practicing social distancing right now, so I can't really, I can't really ask anybody. Obviously, I don't know. I'm trying to be as corny as possible, folks. <laughs> I'm here as always with Father Chuck. Hey, aloha, all that stuff. I'm also here with Matt. Yay! Matt's finally not here. Not, not as not not as not as always. <laughs> <laughs> hey, does, it's, um, does not have coronavirus. I think Father Fun's been on the podcast more than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And speaking of whom, Father Fun is also here. Hello, Father Fun. Welcome back. Hey, guys. Glad to he's, be here. Well, I mean, he is, he is almost the, the Reverend Cannon Fun. Okay. Right. I, I, I need to know, why do you keep... This is something that's happening in our, mes- our, our messenger groups. Why do you keep calling Father Fun Cannon Fun? Uh, he, he should I'm, uh, I'm switching jobs soon um, okay. in... We just sold our house and we're moving to Topeka uh, in, in August. I will take on the job of canon to the ordinary, which is a, a position. It's kind of like an executive officer for the bishop. The bishop is the ordinary, and so the canon to the ordinary is like the kind of assistant to the, to the bishop. Um, canon, C-A-N-O-N, uh, which is the way that we spell like canon law, law that's related to the church. Um, the, the church rules are called the canons. Um, not canon, C-A-N-N-O-N, like the large piece of artillery and not however Nick Cannon spells it. I'm sorry. I wish I had that pulled up. <laughs> that Nick Cannon. Okay. Well, Drum that's, that's interesting. Uh, to, Topeka, Kansas. Uh, I have some friends uh, that I usually hang out with uh, who, who are from Topeka. Uh, they go to a lot of uh, funerals or protest stuff. Not really down with that, but I'm not... one of my uh, parishioners, says uh has, has a daughter who lives there and she, whenever she talks about topeka well not whenever one time but i always say this now uh whenever she talks about topeka she says it's a goofball city <laughs> which it, which it is i mean it definitely like yeah there's I, a lot about topeka that's great but michael michael grew up in topeka so you know married oh, to really? in topeka and she's happy to be going back but okay. um yeah it's a goofball city just in case no one picked up on a subtle being my sarcasm i was referring to the westboro baptist church <laughs> Which you you called them on the phone. I used to prank times. call them all the time in college. Uh, well, well, we we are gathered here today not to talk about the Westboro Baptist Church. Baptist Church. That's another episode. Um, yeah, wait, is. that's why. That's not why we're here. <laughs> I was lied to. I only came later. back to talk about that. Matt's like I got yeah, into this uh, Fred Phelps uh, yeah, cosplay. I'll see you in another two years. <laughs> um, we're actually going to talk about the latest iteration of star trek and that is star trek picard which came out uh six years ago right um <laughs> feels like it <laughs> yeah three, back when the quarantine started uh i would say it's three extremely troubling news cycles ago i think if you've been listening to the podcast for for as long as we've been around you probably know that we are um we're pretty big fans of star trek um, and we love to talk about it uh, whenever we can. Whatever excuse we can find to talk about Star Trek, we'll do it. And uh, 
now's a perfect time because we want to talk about Picard, which was uh, a show that we all watched. And we're all anxiously anticipating. So I have to know. Um, I just want to know right off the bat, do you think, do any of you think that it lived up to your expectations? I thought it did personally without getting too much into it because that's what we're going to talk about for the whole episode when it started i was uh pleasantly surprised by how different it felt while how familiar it felt at the same time Mm -hmm. so the character immediately felt exactly like i wanted picard to feel years later but the show felt like something new and exciting now i will say my feelings shifted a bit toward the end and I won't say whether fully negative or not, but I will say the end and the beginning had very different effects on me. Um, but when it first started, I was very excited by the fact that it felt like a character I was familiar with, that I loved, but updated in a way that didn't feel cheesy or forced. It felt natural and like it was progressing along with the story not just trying to rehash stuff we've already been through um again the end we're gonna get to but Mm -hmm. that's how i felt when i started and as a whole i will say i enjoyed it it was fun i had a good time i liked it and i look forward to hopefully more so that's my feelings on it yeah the reason why i'm asking that question is because we spent we spent a good time before picard was even announced saying you know we wish star trek would go forward into the future like what happened what does star trek look like after the next generation after voyager after ds9 and all that stuff and everyone and all these shows were coming i seemed to focus on like way before that and so when picard was coming out i was like oh now we have something to really look forward to yeah i uh i it definitely lived up um, I think I, it's going to be interesting to hear what Matt has to say about the end because um, as he was speaking, I was kind of thinking that it was similar to my reaction. I, when it started, I was really, I was really jazzed. I was really excited, um, and it it definitely lived up to that to that hype um, when it started. Um, I don't. I mean, I was I was excited about I was excited about seeing Picard again just because he's a great character and I love and I love seeing the character. So in terms of like what the show was about, I don't know that I had a whole lot of like high expectations over you know i just wanted to make i just wanted to see that the character of jean-luc picard like just where he was like i was just excited about that and and the show totally delivered in that in that regard in the sense that um patrick stewart was able to jump right back into the character was able to um inhabit the character in a way that um reflected you know a significant chunk of time Patrick Stewart embodied the character. It was great. I think I think he did a good job with the character. Um, I will say that I was less jazzed about the state of Starfleet, even though as way it's depicted, even though it made kind of made sense um, based off of what we had seen coming before. Like it wasn't completely out of left field to see Starfleet in a kind of a more messed up place. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not initially super jazzed about the new characters, um, especially um, um, I, I guess it's been a while and I don't and I mean, it shows to me shows to the, how the characters resonated. I don't remember most of their names. I'll help you. Um, so remind me of she was she was sort of his assistant. Rafi. Um, what? Rafi. Rafi. Thank you. Um to see a character like her depicted as though, you know, she's calling him JL. She's got, they're, they're trying to depict as though they have like this relationship and this long, you know, this long standing thing. 
but that hadn't been shown. And so that to me came across a little forced that they were like, to me, it was almost like we can't afford the other characters. And so we're just going to write this new one and create sort of the impression that there's this backstory um, um, that I don't know. I just didn't feel that it was a real organic backstory. It felt like it was a written in backstory. You know what I mean? Like it just didn't have, it didn't feel natural. So it was a little bit disjointed for me. Um, um, and I felt that way about a lot of the new characters when they first were introduced. I came to like all of them as the show progressed. It was just the way they were introduced felt a little, a little jagged. Um, I will say that in, overall, the whole show, the one person, the one, the one character that to me is MVP that took the whole thing away was um, Data. Um, I think Brent Spiner um, being able to step right back into that role after all this time, um, especially in the finale, was really, really, really something amazing to see. Um, and um, and you know, for a character that's so deeply beloved in the franchise as Data, to to give him the story they gave him. Um, and for him to, you know, I was just, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting him to be as big a part of it as he turned out to be. And, um, and that was really, that was really something special. I think. I don't want to comment on anybody in real life as far as human beings aging. And I think that's fine. But as far as a character goes, can I just ask, did anybody else find him a little creepy looking though? Like what data, little, little bit data, just a little bit. Like he, he kind of freaked me out at first. It took getting used to. As far as the actor and his portrayal and where they went with that character, I have absolutely zero negative to say when we talk about this more about the Data character and where that went. Um, and the acting was incredible. But when he first came on the screen, it was a bit jarring. Um, yeah. To try and make it look like nothing had changed. I think they should have found a way to make it a little more natural but that's just me just just a thought yeah i mean that's that's actually a thought i had earlier actually i mentioned that to chuck a few episodes ago that i thought he looked kind of weird uh but i think that's because like you know the character design itself is from like a totally different era and it's being brought back and sort yeah. of the modern day filmmaking and so you're kind of using like these sort of old school aesthetics of modern day filmmaking kind of doesn't quite go together you know, it's it, it, it's it, it is jarring. Like, cause today, if someone were designing a character like Data, they probably wouldn't make his skin shiny like that, with like neon green. Oh, because in the new like uh, high eyes. definition, shiny skin is shiny skin. Yeah, he's like, practically it's, like. It's, I mean, that's. I mean, I hope is is that what we're <laughs> gonna look like in heaven and not the cocoon aliens? <laughs> is that? <laughs> yeah, I no, I think you're right in the sense that the character design piece, right? Cause you compare that to like Saru on Star Trek discovery, which is yeah. an alien design that could not have existed earlier because the makeup effects yeah. were not nearly the same. And, and, you know, and you see some of the cybernetic enhancement stuff going on with characters in discovery that could not have existed on television earlier. Yeah. I found data um, to be way shinier <laughs> in this series and, uh, previous entries, <laughs> including the, the more modern movies. Yeah, well, I think Cyber, part of that Cyber, is they were Cybernetic. they were overly. I think they probably did some digital smoothing, probably 
on him to make him look the way he looked. But I, but also I have to say that you know I think one thing that was really off with his eyes, right? His eyes are very different looking in the in Picard than they are on Next Generation. But I do kind of like that there was a mild tweak to it that almost helped emphasize that he's an artificial life form and not just a guy in makeup. Yeah. And so that that actually worked for me the way that the other the sort of otherworldliness of him because he is supposed to look. You know, like he's supposed to be in the uncanny valley territory. That's that's true. That's a good way of looking at it. Mm. Um, Ooh, cybernetic enhancements make me excited to talk about a character <laughs> who I'm so excited showed up. But go ahead. Carry okay. On. All right. Um, said. Uh, where were we going with that? I don't know. I think that was just. Well, you were give, you hadn't given your thoughts yet, JP. Your thoughts. Initial thoughts. Yeah. Um, I like that they, uh, well, I, I liked returning to the universe as it would be like kind of uh, like we kept up with the timeline. Um, I think it's good to go forward. Um, I'm, I'm truly, I'm wrestling kind of, you know, I just finished this like today and um, I'm still kind of processing some stuff. I thought they, played with some interesting ideas. Um, it was kind of fun revisiting old characters, watching them interact with each other and stuff. Uh, the story was, I thought was interesting. Um, did it live up to my expectations? Um, I think so. I, I, I didn't really have like enormous expectations. I wasn't hoping it would change TV or be like a milestone on television or anything like that. Um, just hoping it would be good, <laughs> which is kind of what I I always hope for with Star Trek. At least just be good. Um, but you know what's interesting is lately, and this might take us into a pretty interesting topic. I don't know. I don't know if I want to dive really dive deep into it right now. Um, but I will say that I've kind of been wrestling with like a lot of commentary about making Star Trek cool and how I have fundamentally very much disagree with how they were trying to make Star Trek cool with Picard and that I actually think they were just trying to make it like television today, which I think it's ultimately what happened. Um, but that could either be good or bad um, because uh, I don't know if I want to dive into it because I feel like I'm going to take over the whole episode if I do it. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys want me to just dive into my well, thoughts? Let me let me <laughs> let me let me say this first. Um, okay. Because you said the making Star Trek cool thing, and a big part of what people are talking. Sorry, you froze because of that. like the shit. You froze for like five seconds. Am I here now? Yes. So. So I think a big part of what people are talking about when they're complaining about it being just trying to make it cool is the aesthetic of the show. The yes. way the new ship he gets looks, the way the crew he gets looks. Um, what I will say is I actually found it incredibly satisfying because it genuinely felt like a progression in that universe where a captain who became an admiral who is like, revered by everybody is now the older guy who walks onto a new ship and is like 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 um when he has to pilot the ship at one point and he's 
interacting with these like Tony Stark like holograms where mm-hmm. he's moving his hands around and things are happening. I found that to be great because it's Patrick Stewart, who's an incredible actor, sitting there playing this older guy who's messing around with newer technology going, I know how to do this, but what is this? And <laughs> I, I just thought that I found the whole thing pleasing personally. Yeah. So the whole argument of like, oh, they just did that to make it cool is annoying because, no, they did it to update it to where we're at today. And in that universe, you see it as it was updated to where it would have been years after he was the captain of the Enterprise that JP is currently sitting on. Um, Years after that, he is now this older gentleman who is retired, living in a vineyard, who now has to get back on a ship. And it's kind of like if your grandpa who drove a car had to then jump into the new like um, Honda Civic I don't know like the Type R with all the a Tesla? Apple CarPlay and Cybertruck in it and he's going oh, t- Tesla's even better had to jump into it and go yeah I know how to drive and like yeah yeah you know how to drive and you're obviously going to do okay but you've got to figure out like what the heck is all this stuff and I think that it's it just fit to me it, it fit it felt like a natural progression of the that universe too that they're going to move forward to a point where it's going to look different, feel different, and ultimately be more, if you want to use the stupid term that people are complaining about, it's going to be more cool Mm -hmm. because humanity does progress toward a more aesthetically pleasing thing with everything they deal with. They want to feel cooler driving things than Father Fun's sending me hearts right now. (laughs) I don't really know how to handle it. He likes what you're saying. It's um, fine. I think I have to leave. Like, I just caught me <laughs> well, off guard. Okay. Well, let me, one thing I want to point out to you in this conversation. I, 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 wait, about, wait, 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 wait. Oh. Since he interrupted us with hearts, can I just tell you this phone that I had to go find? I have to show you my, uh, <laughs> oh, my, my whole answer. theme is based on this. Yeah. And when you unlock it, oh, my entire that, theme is the Riker. <laughs> so, like, when he showed up, we're going to get wait. there, but when he showed up, we're, we're doing good. We're doing good. Sorry, Love it's just the, heart, the little emoji just keeps flashing at me, and I just am like, stop doing that. <laughs> no, but I was going to say, one of the things, too, that people have com- criticized uh, that I've seen about the, the show in terms of it being, like, cool is, you know, Rafi being a drug user and um, um, Rios, is that the captain's name, Captain Rios? Rios. 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 Yeah. Um, him smoking, um, and they're like, "Oh, it's a, you know edgy and cool or whatever." But Cousin. what I actually, yeah, and that too. I, what I, what I, what I've always, Kane and I talk about this a lot when we watch other Star Trek shows. Is that there's, you know, we always talk about like who are the people that are on the periphery of the main story of Star Trek, right? Because the previous shows are very Starfleet centric. <laughs> you only get little glimpses of what your average citizen of the federation is like right and you think about like in our world now you know with billions of people with little pockets of different you know some people are you know there's their cd criminals there's people struggling with this thing it's a very complicated thing and you stretch that out over you know thousands of worlds and different alien species and all that like there's got to be these cool little pockets and little interesting pockets of 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 civilization and different things going on with different people and you know uh, th- you know you, you see it you just see it in the periphery of the other star trek shows this show actually kind of put it front and center um and i liked that i liked seeing that there are people who are kind of disillusioned by starfleet 
you know, Rios is a great character in that regard because, you know, so many of the other captains in previous Star Trek shows were just there to show how good like Kirk was as a captain or or whatever. They, you know, you don't really see the human cost and, you know, you never get to see the ship that's just full of the, you know, the captain who was promoted out because everybody thought they were a jerk. And so it's the it's the ship where, you know, it's who you know you just stuck a bunch of people that you really don't want running anything and but you know you got to give them promotions and you got to do their thing like you never see that part of star trek and so you never really see the as much the human cost of of you know all the crazy stuff they encounter so to have this guy who witnesses captain kill himself and it caused him to have like a mental break Mm -hmm. like that's an interesting character that has been hinted at in previous star trek but you never really dwell on that character and so yeah, I liked and, being able to see to see that more. Yeah, and I I 100% agree with you that usually it's more peripheral peripheral characters and I can't say that word but you know what I mean in the past but people who would argue that these characters because of the stuff they deal with and the issues that they're bringing up don't fit into the Star Trek universe and it's just making it cool. Yeah. I would argue didn't watch Star Trek. Yeah. Like, how could you be a Star Trek I, fan and not like, realize this, that at, there are entire episodes is not, about addiction yeah, Rhea, and depression and all that? Yeah, Rios I mean, well, is not the, the different from O'Malley. Right? right. I mean, look at the people who are hanging out at Quarks on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Like, there's all kinds of seedy, broken people hanging out in that bar, but you don't get a whole episode about them. I think it was I think it was great. I mean, I think it's, it's production values, it's technology, it's, like... If if they tried to create a show that was back in the aesthetic of the late 1980s and early 90s, it would be a parody of itself, and it wouldn't be able to it wouldn't be able to do anything, I guess, because people would just be complaining about, you know, imagine shooting it in that in that the that aspect ratio and stuff. Like our minds would just break, yeah. right? So I'm not I'm 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 just not I don't care, you know. I mean, and I think like yeah. same, you can see the same things across all IPs that grow over time. You know, like we just rewatched, you know, Star Trek or Star Trek Star Wars um, episode four, right? And then we watched episode nine, and it's just like they're not the same property anymore, yeah. basically because of production <laughs> values, right? It's just like these things shift and change, and that's fine. You know, you can cuss now on TV, and so the characters cuss. Like, I, I'm I'm fine with it. Um, but I did want to say one thing that that Charles said that really caught me is I really liked how it was kind of a meditation on broken brokenness how this first season was kind of a meditation on brokenness and how the, the, the moment where it really stood out to me was in when uh picard was talking to rios on the ship trying to recruit him and he says i know you you know like he looks around the ship and he sees that he still folds his his stuff in a certain way and he still keeps his shoes under his bed in the same way or whatever and he says you're starfleet you know starfleet may have screwed you but you're Starfleet. And I and he said that and I realized like, oh, that's exactly what's going on with Rafi. That's exactly what's going on with Picard. Is it's these people who hold Starfleet and the Federation with this ideal and have dedicated their entire life to it. And then each in their own way have been screwed by that organization. And so the, yeah, the whole the whole arc is really and, and, and certainly Seven of Nine is would be part of this as well. Like they all kind of the, the, the whole show is a journey of them re- reclaiming what it means to be that idealized uh, Gene, Gene, Robin, Gene Roddenberry Starfleet. Father Fun picked two things that I found interesting. Um, 
and he or actually father fun and chuck but i father chuck but i kind of lost who said what but talking about how if they filmed it exactly how it was it would be a parody of itself if people want to see star trek exactly the way it was updated to the point where it perfectly fits go watch the orville (laughs) it is a parody of itself that nails it 100 percent to the point where it feels like you're watching Star Trek. It's satisfying like watching Star Trek, but you realize, oh yeah, this is ridiculous. Like <laughs> like the comedy is only the fact that it knows if I play this straightforward and do it exactly how it was, that's the comedy of it in today's world. Um, so if people want to see what happens if you get Star Trek exactly like they think they want it, then go watch the Orville, which I would argue is a perfect 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 continuation of star trek for people who want that um if you want to see where would this universe have gone after the last time we saw it to the quote-unquote modern day meaning years after where we left them then i would argue picard did a pretty incredible job again we're not at the end yet i've got some bones to pick with the ending of it but overall it did an incredible job of showing us what that universe would progress toward because unfortunately humanity has a history and a proven track record of screwing things up. Mm -hmm. So if we had something like the Federation and it continued to carry on into the future, it would be a lot like, and let me put this into masters of divinity territory. What Picard did with the Federation would fit a lot with a conversation about what the quote-unquote church in the Western world has gone through from being the Federation of the past that is saving all the um, different species and aliens and out there, and it's a hope for humanity, and then has become something that has hurt people, driven them away, and caused them to go, I still believe in the ideals of this, but I don't want anything to do with the actual organization of what this is like picard to me very much felt like watching the millennial slash post-millennial generation commentary on the church like i am spiritual but i'm done with the church (laughs) it's kind of like i am all about exploration but i'm done with the federation so Um, what you're saying is that is is that so what you're saying is that Jean-Luc Picard is like the uh, is like the John Calvin of of the Federation, the reformational figure who recognizes that certain things are predetermined, but we have to be, you know, hold fast to the no, ideal. No, no, I would argue, I would argue the uh, the, that I would argue Picard falls somewhere between I kiss dating goodbye and Rob Bell, uh, <laughs> where he still buys into the ideals of it but has become an entirely different voice in it and doesn't even realize he's there so he's somewhere in there um so that's what i'd say but anyway carry on uh, i forget what my second point was because i already forget the two things we were talking about that was the one i'm interested in what you guys thought about the uh subplot with uh dr Girardi and you know her relationship to bruce maddox and how she was influenced by admiral O. And murdered Maddox. Spoilers. Uh, I guess you should say that first. Um, what do you? How do you guys feel about sort of her arc? Because I thought it was really interesting. Like it, this is a, a character who, out of like horrible desperation, murdered someone like the most important person in her life, and then she kind of stayed with Picard. And people 
had to kind of adjust to what she did. That touches on a from a show making filmmaking point of view touches on one of my complaints with the show okay that uh that is designed for a streaming network that one of the joys and incredible things about streaming network is they are released from the pressure of having to follow a week by week schedule so they can draw out a storyline knowing that you can binge it but then they release a streaming network in a week by week schedule and it's kind of screwed something up because they felt like they had to rush each episode so that it kept you coming back every week, which is the one thing, one thing, because there's a lot of things that binge watching has ruined, just like there's a lot of things that the old school way of doing things is ruined. But one of the great things about binge watching shows, when they release an entire episode at a time, they can have two to three episodes of a show where literally nothing happens but character development. And we're okay with that because we know we can continue to watch it. Whereas if you make me wait week to week to week to week and nothing happens, you're going to lose my attention and I'm not going to come back the next week. So this follows that old formula where they felt like her character had to jump forward too quickly. Um, And I feel like... I feel like her well, I, journey was incredible but felt rushed. Th- that's a sentiment that I sort of feel about the whole show is that it, once it was all said and done, it feels like there was like two or three episodes that are missing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just like they set up this real big ponderous thing in the beginning and then it felt, as I said to Patrick um, many weeks ago when we <laughs> talked about this, I said that you know it almost felt like they ran out of money at the end, which is very fitting to a next generation property because <laughs> You know, that happened almost every season. Um, but it had that feeling that that was probably supposed to be a longer show, but they only got budgeted for so many episodes. So they tried to fit a whole lot in and just some things kind of disappeared that would have been nice to see just some connective tissue. I mean, for instance, the final episode, like the main twist of the of the show of the season is delivered via exposition. You don't really even see it. Which one was that? Uh, this the vision like you see the vision which the vision consists of i believe 75 dollars worth of b-roll footage you can get off of like getty images and that's not a joke like that's the actual truth and the explanation of that is delivered by a character um and you're just supposed to take that at face value so little things like that were kind of frustrating with the show. And I think Gerardi is one of those, too, where she does this really awful thing. But by the end, we're kind of like, forget about it. <laughs> but I guess she also didn't do it totally under her own volition because O had done something to her to make her. You know, because she'd shown her this vision, which well, no, no, she... so it wasn't entirely just it was somewhat under duress or whatever. It wasn't. Well, it was it was one of those instances, and that's where um, I felt like the show really failed itself in her character and ultimately that storyline of the vision is it's one of those instances where they didn't allow you enough time to feel enough for what the character is going through for it to have an impact. Because what happened is somebody showed her this vision where her understanding of it was... I have to do this or all of the universe is doomed. If I don't make sure that one thing doesn't happen, everything else is doomed. So it placed them in this like this 
moral dilemma that we're we're known for throughout movies of like if you knew that that it's a whole Hitler baby concept. Like if you could go back and Edith Keeler must die. (laughs) So, but they didn't give us any time to feel what the character was feeling. So it felt very rushed to have her murder somebody and us be like, oh, that's so sad because we understand what you're going through. Well, no, no, we don't. Like, like for exa- the, the, the only, only introduction we have to the emotional dilemma this character is facing is the B-roll footage that Father Chuck is talking about. Like, we got to see that twice and we're supposed to understand why she murdered her lifelong mentor and like the person that she based her whole life around when all we saw is a couple glimpses of like google google images flash before our eyes <laughs> and then we're supposed to go okay cool i get it yeah. um and that's yeah that was one 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 problem i had even though the actress it's allison pill 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 and i can't for the life of me remember where i'm familiar with scott pilgrim uh, scott familiar pilgrim. with her with Scott Pilgrim yeah, nailed the, uh, it. Thank you. But this, she's a the, drummer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Scott Pilgrim. We I can't believe we haven't talked about that yet. But anyway, <laughs> um, the second she came on screen, I immediately was excited. Even though I couldn't obviously, I couldn't remember where I saw her from. <laughs> but I was immediately excited, and her performance throughout the show did nothing but live up to my excitement. Like her. In that character, portraying the emotions and the struggle was dead on, and I loved it. But yeah. the writing was so rushed, I'm like, you didn't give me time to care. And that was really a disservice to her more than even the show. It was a, distur- a disservice to the the character and the portrayal that she's presenting to us and how amazing that was, and it didn't quite reach it in the story development and how it went. Yeah, I agree with you. She's a terrific actress, and I think what she what, what was handed to her, she did really, really well with it. Probably, I think kind of, I think she kind of stand out. She stood out more mm-hmm. than Very anybody much else in the so show, to, to be honest. Uh, you know, who wasn't like a veteran. honestly, honestly, um, more than Patrick Stewart to me. <laughs> like she was the She's she was poker, the yeah. standout of this show. Well, I guess that's just my opinion. But well, I guess part of the storyline for her is probably meant to is probably meant to bounce off of Patrick Stewart's time as Locutus, someone who yeah. killed a bunch of people that, you know, like he still feels guilt for his participation in that, even though it wasn't fully like his right. thing. I'm because I, 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 they, they, they pick up a few threads with that. And I'm wondering if that might be part of it, too, like because yeah. their their whole moment in the bridge of the ship at the end of the uh, at the last epi- or in, during the last episode kind of gives that sense of, you know, he's he's helping her move past this, the guilt of this horrible thing she did. I didn't really have any problem with her. Um, I did. I did read the book that came out um, in late February. There was a, a book, um, a novelization. What it, was called. it wasn't a novelization. There, it was a prequel. It was a prequel novel that did come out. It didn't come out until um, until between episodes five and six. Um, it was called really? "The Last Best Hope." Yeah, okay. um, I read it in, or I listened to it on on uh, you know audiobook while I was traveling for my sabbatical, and it was and, and I really liked it. And it did do a good job of kind of fleshing out her and her motivations. Interesting. I wonder if though if if one of the reasons why we're having this reaction to her is that she's supposed to be both. She she has to carry a lot of weight because she is both. Um, the character that's kind of making things happen, you know, um, that, that is compelling the story forward. 
But then she also has to take this position as kind of the the hero worship kind of audience in some ways as well. You know, she has to be the one who's, she's not grizzled. She's not um, damaged. You know, she's sad that she's basically, she's, I mean, she's broken, I guess, because her cybernetics program gets shut down, but, but she's still young enough that um, she, and she knows this great man and she has to follow him along and kind of um, carry that weight. But then she also has to be the main mover of the story. And I wonder if she, she it, it falls down a little bit because as soon as Elnor comes in, right, he ends up get he, he gets to be that naive character that that character that's naive to the world, and then she has to rely. We don't see her anymore as the audience who's doing hero worship mm-hmm. because he can be that in some ways. Yeah, I, I can see that. That's interesting. Um, so she has to stand on her own legs as that you know, whatever that antagonistic like thing is, the thing, the person is compelling the story forward. Yeah. There's definitely some tension in that. She's sort of helping move the story forward, but she's also has antagonistic qualities of kind of foiling the story. Um, and I think what's interesting about that is that she is, she is sort of that um, kind of fangirl sort of fill in for fans type character. And what's interesting is that, you know, in, in prestige television, which is like the era of television we're in now, one of the big um, aspects of it is you take sort of archetypal characters and then they go through like a really radical sort of dramatic transformation through the process of the story, which is basically kind of ditch that archetype completely. And in this case, you know, she murdered somebody, (laughs) you know, and that kind of brought way more tension and a whole lot more transformation to her character. Um, which, by the way, speaking of prestige television, I have got like a whole thing that I was going to go over and how it relates to Picard. If you guys would indulge me for just a minute, <laughs> is that okay? You've got Literally. sixty seconds. Um, <laughs> so there's this really great article by um, one of my favorite podcasters named Matt Kreisman, who wrote this uh, article on prestige television for Current Affairs, and um, the article is called uh, "How How T- TV Became Prestigious Without Getting Better," and um, what's interesting about it is that uh, he kind of tracks like how where prestige TV came from. It all kind of started with The Sopranos, and then kind of eventually rolled its way into like Deadwood, uh, uh, The Wire, and then AMC picked it up with like Mad Men and Breaking Bad, and then yada yada yada. We get Game of Thrones and everything since then. Um, but he kind of broke down aspects of uh, just sort of some points that kind of that sort of make up prestige TV. I'm not saying like prestigious television, but 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 like the sort of the subgenre of prestige TV, what it's supposed to be. And I was actually really interested in kind of reading this and like, oh wow, I can actually pinpoint parts in the show that we just watched um, that make up prestige TV. So here we go. I broke it down. Uh, first of all, it's the storytelling is serialized, which is you know, kind of a given. It's all serialized these days. Um, the depth of characterization and the theme of a novel. Uh, the visual sensibility of film and cinema. Uh, episodes in without pat resolution. Um, stories or arcs stretch out over episodes and seasons. And we're just like in the first season of this show, so it's like not quite that. But there are like a plots and B plots going on simultaneously. The episode. Um, 
characters undergo a dramatic transformation that subvert the idea of an archetype, which I just mentioned in Jurati. Um, you have these sort of brooding, tortured anti-heroes. Uh, stillness punctuated by sudden acts of violence. Um, montage and ironically uh, counterposed musical choices. Which, um, that's, happened, that's happened a few times. Um, gratuitous nudity, nudity and violence. Kind of. Um, let's see. <laughs> and there's also sort of like a kind of a, a sense of that like gritty realism that sort of accentuates the style of the of the of the series. Um, but I thought it was interesting because that kind of like I don't know that kind of fits in with uh with picard like all those like oh another thing when you kind of look at all these sort of prestigious tv shows that started with sopranos and went through dead uh deadwood the wire madman breaking bad they're all about like troubled older men uh who are kind of like the movie unforgiven where you're sort of revisiting the past or you're just kind of dealing with the fact that you're aging getting old and um and another kind of thing that he pointed out that was very interesting is that um, dream sequences and flashbacks and death visions, like visions you get like a, a, while you're dying, sort of abstractly represent like what the character is, is going through or is experiencing. So, I don't know. I thought that I thought that was really interesting. I thought like would you kind of break it down? Like that's what we're experiencing with Picard and these things with like you know. Uh, characters and their arcs and how they're anti-heroes and stuff it's not necessarily a a, a a quality it's mostly because of the time in which it's made and i find that to be a mm-hmm. unique thing about star trek itself and that each iteration sort of reflects the time in which they are made um that's true about the first iteration of star trek it's true about next generation it's true about uh I don't. I haven't really watched Enterprise. So I don't really know how Enterprise feels early two thousands ish. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, it it's, it 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 basically deals with like a massive terrorist attack on Earth. Really? Yeah. A temporal Cold war that feels oh. against the enemy that you can't can't uh, focus on. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely is about the war on terror. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. And I like when people kind of bring up that it's like, it just doesn't feel like Star Trek. I'm like, Star Trek is a reflection of its time. Uh, One of the things I would respond to that too, is I think that one of the reasons why this might be a reflection of its time too, is just thinking back on a lot of the episodes that we've done and that you guys have done is that this is a time of where, where nostalgia is marketable. The fact that we're that we're seeing, um, you know, probably the most beloved character in all of Star Trek um, come back to tell his next story, and then the reaction, some of the reaction to it being slightly different, et cetera, is also part of what is in the zeitgeist now, which is let's dredge up and remake kind of all the stuff that was popular, and um, and get those dollars that way. Right. But but I th- but I think it succeeded in that, and I think that's what I was trying to say at the beginning too. Is I think that by um, making it of its time, making it um, contemporaneous with where the characters age at now, and not you know uh, the Irish minning <laughs> his his face and all that kind of to try to tell a story in the past, um, 
they took the nostalgia and used it to kind of get people in and then told a story that was different. Right. Yeah. And then moved all of Star Trek forward. I actually think that they were pretty restrained in the nostalgia factor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, compared to like other TV shows and stuff who try to like really milk it, you know? Um, oh man, they, they could have done a, you know, a Star Trek crew member of the week kind of thing. Right. He could have just been traveling around the, the, the Milky Way, like visiting old crew members. Yeah. And very early on, they say, he, you know, he has that great line about like, I can't go to any of those people because they'll because they'll help me. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, he's like, that's not what we're going to do, you know. But then, of course, mm -hmm. you have to still have, um, you know, Riker be a part of it. And, you know, there's, you know, Guinan may be in the next one. Jordy may be in the next one, et cetera. But, like, they could have very easily just made it this, this nostalgia fair. And they didn't. They made something new. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a, yeah, that that's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and and that means yeah, and to get back to like what I said earlier about the new characters being introduced, like I, I thought the writing was a little jankety to get them introduced, but I'm grateful that they didn't rely on the easy thing of just having a bunch of familiar faces around all the time. Um, I, I mean, the only character, the only character that I feel is super missing from and I told Patrick this a while back the only character that I think is super missing from the story is Beverly Crusher like the fact that she's not around to me is like is is glaring because she's even in next generation they knew each other before that show so that's like his oldest friend like they were legit friends um from before that time so I would love to know where she was in all of this all right but that's, yeah there's a kind of be a thing too like I mean, yeah, if, they, you, they if you look at the timeline that was presented by All Good Things, which yes. is which that that episode opens contemporaneous time frame into where Picard is as a show, um, but you know that's you know things aren't predetermined, so that's you know interesting. I don't I don't know what I don't know what problem you had with introducing new characters. As soon as Legolas showed up, I was totally <laughs> on board. You mean Elrond? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. What did I say? I said that, right? He's not uh, Elrond. He doesn't have the rock and headband. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. What, what did you? Uh, what, what was his name again? I I, I forgot his Elmer. name. I, I really don't I, I'm going to get in. I'm going to get in early just in case people disagree with me. Um, I loved Elnor. I thought he was I, awesome. Yeah, you some I of that Romulan candor, that extreme candor. He, or whatever. Yeah, that honestly, the, the whole the whole idea that Ron. The deepening of Romulan culture was so great for me because that, that idea that there's this whole other strain of almost uh, religious thought that is completely separate from the Romulans that we know, right? This idea of radical candor is so different from everything that the Tal Shiar has and has been and has controlled all of Romulan society. And then you have this character who, like, because of the way he was raised, cannot even conceive of not telling the truth about something is just such a fascinating idea not to mention the fact that he's a badass that he has an awesome fight starting line right choose to live which is also like from deuteronomy which makes me it makes me super happy um and and and, and he's and he's 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 a total he's a total badass i will say sidebar that kawat malat just in general i love him and um and they're and they are also in the book. They're they're in the there's a, there are a lot more in the book. You get to see all the background of how they got to that world and how the card developed the relationships with them and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But I got huge Bene Gesserit vibes from them, right? <laughs> like like 
like it was it was it was so dune um just <laughs> yeah the there i do the way that they i do and everything yeah and i do have to say and it's not just because father fun gave such an awesome argument and i mean that for real i do have to say i love the character but when the second he walked on screen i was like what the crap did i put lord of the rings in and i forgot <laughs> like like i just I had to draw attention to the fact that all I could think of is Legolas every time he was on the screen. But as far as a character goes, I really did absolutely love his story, the development where he went, how he wound up joining Picard and moving on from Picard within the episodes. But that didn't feel rushed. It felt natural and like real. Um, I actually did love the character development to him. So Father Fun, I'm 100% on your side, but I do have to draw attention to the fact that all I could think of was Legolas. I'm like, Orlando blooms in this. I didn't. I didn't know that. And uh, this is a, that was all. Sorry, but carry on. Let, let's talk about the utter contempt this show has for former Borg. <laughs> oh yeah, like they're yeah, just getting they do slaughtered not. I mean, left and right. And, and also, I mean, seven, beloved seven of nine, seven of nine, oh, seven is nine is so awesome. great. Thank show. you. But He's so awesome, so they awesome. Do, they Sorry. do Hugh dirty. They do Hugh dirty. Yeah. Um. But the uh, but and then uh, nothing nothing is as bad as what they do to Itchib. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah you're talking um, about uh, <laughs> gratuitous nudity and, names and, enough and to violence. Itchib's um, ocular trauma. Oh, yeah. yeah, so Icheb, if you don't, if you've not watched Star Trek Voyager, Icheb is a beloved character who's basically um, is basically Seven of Nine's son. He is a they, they they come across a Borg ship with a bunch of where the drones are just kids. I didn't know this. And and she um, and 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 uh, and she sort of takes them on. They they manage to remove all of their implants and everything like they had done to her well Icheb decides that he wants to join starfleet and be the first like former borg or borg or whatever and join starfleet and so he begins his starfleet training on voyager and it continues when he gets back to the alpha quadrant at the end of voyager and so people who watch who like voyager fans like this is a deeply loved secondary character i mean he is an innocent he is just this earnest great kid and for him to be killed off in a like a intensely violent pre-credit sequence um is shocking you could argue argue it would be like as though the terminator franchise decided to just kill john connor off in the first 30 seconds of a movie maybe like oh god that's a different episode (laughs) we'll get get into that (laughs) but i will say effective in establishing why seven of nine does what she does effective in establishing how awful that, um, that, that villainous character from that episode or whatever her name was, um, what she is. Um, but like watching it, I just was pretty much. And then it just pretty much if, if an ex Borg that wasn't seven of nine was on screen, like you knew they were dying because that's just, they were sort of the red shirts. Of, they were the red shirts. Uh, because, <laughs> You know, you know, each hip dies and then they do Hugh dirty and then they end up like just blowing a whole bunch of a former Borg out an airlock. Um, it's it's yeah. It, well, yeah. That, that brings us something for me. I know we got some 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 hardcore Voyager fans on this stream right now as a recording. Uh, Chuck and Father Fun. I actually I've only watched like a couple of episodes of Voyager myself. 
Uh, Father Fun, I want to know, what are your thoughts on uh, Seven of Nine and her story and how she's presented in the, in the series? It was good. I think it was good Seven of Nine. I thought she was, uh, it felt like there was a continuous arc. Um, again, another person who is uh, disenchanted with Starfleet and with the Federation, where they've gone, who um, has always been action-oriented, um, is, is now we see her, her taking her, um, taking it on in, in her own hands, you know, with the vigilante justice kind of thing, whatever her group is called, the, the Power Rangers. I also think that she, I think that there was, again, attached to this whole kind of season about brokenness is how important the XBs are to Picard's own journey and to see, you know, the other main ex-Borg and see how she has been transformed by the events that have befallen her since the, we last saw her, and to see Picard, and then to see them have to kind of confront that together in on an actual Borg cube yeah. with these other, especially with Hugh, who is, who is this kind of self-actualized ex-Borg. Um, you know, the, the, when, when she took over the ship and became queen for a day, that was badass that was and cool. awesome. And, and 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 talking about how you know I might not want to give this I might not want to give it up you know <laughs> like being honest about the drive to power um, I was I was I was a big fan of her and I and I and I do think that the Borg needed that they were a really essential and necessary part of the whole uh, the whole journey even though it was much more about Ron, like not just as a place for the Romulans to do some stuff and for their for the the destroyer prophecy to come through just like we needed to see the Borg again because we needed Picard to experience all that again, to have a name for what he is, right? To hear, to, you know, there's this moment when, when he was like X, X, XB, he starts talking about all these guys as XBs and, and giving somebody, giving something a name kind of honors it or whatever. Hmm. And Picard has this moment of realization where he's like, I'm an XB, you know, yeah. like, yes, like that's, that's true. Um, all, all great. And I think, and so I think seven and nine had to be a part of that story. Can I just um, admit here on the podcast that I may have gotten a little, just a little, little bit teary-eyed during the whole discussion about I can't do this because I might not give it up. And then when she did it and had to give it up and talks about how that, like, I just, just full disclosure, may have, may, may have gotten a little teary-eyed watching uh, Star Trek here while she's discussing the whole thing because... That character to me, even though I'm a, I was a huge Voyager fan when it started, I died off at the end, which I am sad to admit at this point in life. But at the time, you know, I was an ignorant child. Um, the character of Seven of Nine to me was always incredible because it's like taking that Locutus aboard the Picard storyline and carrying it out through seasons of a TV show. It's like we've talked about before with how TV versus movies and how they have time to develop a character the the locutus storyline and the concept of this captain who devoted his life to an ideal and then lost everything in an instant because he was assimilated into something else and his free will was taken away and then he found a way out of that but spends his entire life going did i really get out of it with next generation we saw that and maybe like three or four episodes, four or five episodes throughout the entire show. And then a couple times throughout the movies, it's hinted to about his Locutus experience. But with Seven of Nine, we got to watch it season after season after season about how she... It's kind of like, can I put it in terms that hopefully 
I hope I don't screw this up, but in real life, it's kind of the mentality of somebody who, um, and you can cut this out completely, JP, if I step on my own words here, but it's a whole gang mentality about somebody who grew up without a family, who joins something looking for a family, gets involved in a gang, finds out it's wrong, gets out of it, but for the rest of their life, there's a part of them going, yeah, that was wrong and I didn't want to be part of it, but their identity was wrapped up in this family that they became part of. With Seven of Nine, for season after season after season, we got to watch this character who was assimilated into something that quote-unquote took away her free will and made her become part of something she didn't want to do. She finally got set free, so she has her independence, her humanity, her will, but she really starts questioning, is this really what I want because I lost my family? And the development of that storyline for so many seasons with Voyager, and then to see this show where I feel like it's what I wanted for that character in a finale of Voyager. What I wanted is for her to have that moment where she got to confront, yes, this is the family I left behind. I love it. I care for it. I want to take care of it. I will do anything I can to make sure it survives. But I also understand that you have to grow past that. So she like... That moment in Picard where she talks about how if I do this, I don't know if I'll want to give it up. She becomes a queen for a whole like 30 seconds of the show, which was the greatest part of the entire show, in my opinion, (laughs) and then gives it up to show not only herself, but all those things that she became queen of. She gives it up to show them Yes, we are family. We deserve to exist. We belong here just like everybody else. We have purpose, meaning, worth, everything else. But you are also free to choose what you want to do with that. And that whole storyline was brought together in uh, like the last half of an episode of Picard and the first half of the next episode, I think, is how it played out. Mm -hmm. But to me, that was the perfect... like culmination of the character that i watched through voyager and fell in love with to see her come to terms with what does it mean to have belonged to a family to get free from that and realize that there's more outside of all the ideals they have but then to say i can take care of them too while doing that and i'm not gonna lie i may or may not have had a tear or two rolling down the face during it maybe maybe yeah, it was a, it was so, a t- touching definitely a, that's my thought cool um well we haven't talked at all about sort of who the story kind of centers around aside from picard which is uh uh soji uh, you oh oh yeah <laughs> this whole thing is trying to figure out like what the heck who the heck soji was where'd she come from what is she doing of course she's an android created by bruce maddox clone from data a positronic neutron from data and uh you find out that she was created to find out what happened to mars right and then to report back to the colony of data what to, to what to come back to the the star trek the original series planet that <laughs> that they went to there with all their yeah i love that by the and, way i did i actually really everyone who who complained that star trek wasn't weird enough 
I think that should have been the payoff right there for them. Awesome. <laughs> the whole Mars storyline and the yeah. whole dis- destruction thing. Um, did that happen in something else, we, else we've seen before? Or did they just pretend that it's happened before? Because I honestly couldn't remember. Did I like miss out on this? And it actually no. happened, or are you talking are they about no. the supernova? So it, did, it did actually happen. Not the supernova, so, the 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 Mars. No, the Mars, Mars where all the yeah. yeah. So it doesn't. It doesn't. There's a forms took over. Oh, okay. There's a short tricks that came out before Picard called Children of Mars that is only I don't know, it's about ten or fifteen minutes, but it's a it, it's kind of about the event happening and unfolding through the eyes of two girls, <laughs> two little girls. Um, and then it, it takes place in that in that novelization um, where you get to see all the run up and lead up to it. Um, actually, like Jordy is kind of in charge of making the the, the androids um, based on schematics developed by somebody else. But he's he's actually like on Mars making them, and um, and he's off Mars he's he's off Mars when the attack actually happens. But um, yeah, you have to kind of take it as a given in that first episode when they kind of explain how how Picard lost the fleet or how, how he wasn't able to save everybody from supernova because Mars attacks. Right. So, right. So, so if this helps explain to our audience who's listening and may not be like complete Star Trek nerds, then you can leave it in. If it doesn't, you can edit it out here, but I'm a hundred percent okay with my ignorance showing, but I saw that and I was like, am I supposed to remember this happening from something from something else? Cause it felt like it had been like introduced before and I missed it. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure that wasn't the case. Um, so anyway, yeah. that's all. So well, carry on with what you were going to say. <laughs> well, I was just going to mention, I, I, I thought her story was really cool and kind of a new, interesting, um, <sighs> Some people would probably say cliche, but a new kind of interesting archetype to kind of pursue in Star Trek is sort of the question of what makes us human using, uh, you know, synthetic beings as a kind of vehicle for that. And I I actually thought, speaking of things that make us kind of misty eyed, but the whole episode where uh, they go to meet Riker and Deanna, um, Deanna Troy on uh, Nephilim, I don't know. Nepenthe. Nepenthe. Um, <laughs> and they're met by their daughter, uh, Kestra. That's her name, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the way, like, they couldn't have made a more perfect, like, every story has to have that part where the human realizes they're a robot and it's, like, something traumatic. And the way she kind of comes to term with it is, like, while interacting with this child who's, like, fascinated with her. And not fascinated in a way like a child would be fascinated with a toy, but, like, she kind of sees her as like, oh, you may not be human, but that what you are is like better than human to me. <laughs> like, you're something much more special and much more perfect than that. Um, that that episode yeah, it, was perfect. I, that was my, I think that was my favorite episode of the whole the the one where they went to the casino planet was fun, but the but the one but the one where they went to Nepenthe was was perfect. I, I think that um, Marina Sirtis like. Her acting is incredible. Oh, you got she to see fit her right back into the role like clockwork, man. Like, but and and but but even better than you know, yeah. like that that scene when she figures out just you know emotionally what is going on with Picard, and but there's no words exchanged and they just hug, just incredible. But but about the the girls, Soji and, and Kestra, like 
it was it was it was a really important and 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 necessary moment in the show because it was also I think that even oh yeah like like Deanna says you've got a teenager here and she needed Soji needed someone who else who was also coming into their own and trying to figure out who they were to see herself in that to humanize her and to see her journey as like a an okay thing you know and to humanize her and to see her as something other than you know and and I love that Picard got taken down. Um, in that he got taken down a peg, you know, for being, <laughs> for being a dick. And, uh, um, and, and, and then, and then just as a sidebar, like I loved that whole, the, the Thad's death and the grief that they have as a family and kind of how they all pro- are processing that still. I just thought it was really masterfully handled and, 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 and beautiful. Yeah. I, I still kind of love the part where like you kind of know Riker knows she's descended from data because of the head tilt. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I'd recognize head, yeah. I'd recognize the, the little... hell anywhere. Can yeah, we all? The, can we all can do? I just a, say... Can I just can, for just for just 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 a minute? Can we all do our own version of the data head tilt for a second? Just can everyone do it? Just give me a data head tilt. <laughs> I I do think that that was clunky writing though. Like I do. I wish I wish that they did just left that head tilt in there. But no. But he didn't need to. I didn't. I didn't need the exposition, right? I didn't need. I, to I can see that. Yeah. With these like iterations on popular things, like I wish that they would just allow hardcore fans to have something, you know. <laughs> but it isn't like isn't let like, us gatekeep a little. Come on. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Like, let's, yeah, you, know, you, you just can miss, you can miss this, and that's okay. I 100% agree with you, but I can see why they put that in there for people who didn't like watch the Next Generation. But what I will say is. Whether it was on purpose, and if it was, whatever writers wrote those episodes, they are geniuses, and everybody in Hollywood should be hiring them to write TV. Um, But if it was a little bit of a mistake, which tends to happen, you know, little happy mistakes make things perfect. Um, The Picard and, I mean, Riker and Troy, forgive my mistake, the Riker and Troy introduction and use in this show is the perfect example of how nostalgia can be used without being there just to serve nostalgia. Like it fits so perfectly into the narrative of this show. It served perfectly a purpose to moving the show forward, even though Troy, I'm sorry, but as a character shows back in next generation centered around Deanna Troy tend to be my least favorite because <laughs> they were terrible they, they <laughs> but they nailed it in this because yeah, she right. is deanna troy but it perfectly served the narrative of this show to where it was introduced and where it moved it forward and cut off and then riker's reintroduction at the end not to jump forward but his reintroduction at the end felt deserved which right. is hard mm-hmm. to do after only introducing him for like two episodes and then throwing him back out and don't bring him back until the end. But it felt deserved because whoever wrote those two, I swear, they're either geniuses or the most lucky writers on the face of the earth. Either way, I would well, tell anybody out there, hire them and try again because my, it, they nailed it. They yeah, nailed one, it. one of the writers is Michael Cabana is a pretty celebrated novelist. Um well, there you go. There and you go. Like, uh, <laughs> who else is in that writer's room? Kiva Goldsman, which is like, who's like one of the best screenwriters in Hollywood. I was completely enamored of the show all the way up until the penultimate episode, the second to last episode, when they get to the planet 
um, that whatever about the aesthetic and all that kind of stuff. But when when the when the the the, the prophecy is fully revealed, and all the stuff that happens on that, the reveal of a new Sung, you know, all that stuff. Like I just I felt like that episode was so lazy and just terrible i'm inclined to agree with you a little bit yeah i just couldn't i just couldn't handle it like i i was i was legitimately depressed after watching that episode because i just was like oh my god they took me on eight episodes of this incredible journey and then i feel like i just got slapped in the face and it's you know and 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 part of the reason was because i was uh, one of my favorite games of all time or series of all time is is a game called uh series called mass effect which is a science fiction Mm -hmm. series and the whole plot line of that game is ancient senti- ancient sentient artificial life forms from outside time and space who are coming back to cleanse the <laughs> are coming back to cleanse the, the 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 universe or the galaxy of its organic life and we should be afraid of that and i was just like oh come on like i've already seen this story and i just don't i just feel like i don't need that I will say though that by the time they came back around in the in the last episode, I was a little bit more on board um, with it, and I even I, I did even enjoy the um, Cthulian like tentacle, you know, series. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of like the Sentinels from the Matrix, you know, the the thinking thing happening. I, I I was fine with that, and and I think I would be fine with that if that's the direction that it took in season two. But I really want them to spend more time on who who. What happened on Mars? What's going on with the Romulans? I just want more. I just want more Romulan stuff in season two. So, I agree with you. I love. I think one of the best parts of the show is how much they explore the Romulans. Um, so everything he said, and then um, I said before, I loved the way this show began and started. I loved how it introduced this world to us. I loved how it felt like a natural progression of that universe. And I said I have issues with the end. Um, and now we're at the end. So. The last two episodes of the show felt 100% like me, like pure fan service. It's like they took Picard, they moved him forward to where we would have seen him naturally progress in that universe. They introduced concepts and stuff from him that we would have been like, wow, I wouldn't have expected that, but it totally makes sense. And then the last two episodes of the show felt... 100% like trying to go back to like the 90s and recreate the next generation feel, look, aesthetic, and story writing of Star Trek. Even to the point where, and this is a spoiler spoiler alert for people who haven't seen it, but even to the point where Picard dies and gets brought back in this android body, but they put a algorithm in him where he will die whenever... So it's still, he's a normal human being. From Picard's character, from the first time I've watched him walk on screen in Next Generation till this episode, it 100% makes sense in his character development to go where he did, to wind up dying, to be brought back in this, and to say, you better not have made me immortal. And then when they say, oh no, we totally put an algorithm in, and he's like, well, like 10 more years would have been fine. All of that was perfect from his character point of view. The way they did it, the way they wrote it, all that felt like fan service for, okay, this is the next generation, let's move on. Um, 
And I didn't like that about the last two episodes. It was literally the last two episodes, like Father Fun said, where the the whole show took this shift where it was like, man, you took me on this journey and then you just kicked me in the face. And I'm not even saying where it went needs to change. I'm saying how it was presented to me should have been changed a little bit because it was just so disappointing after this journey I was carried on for eight episodes and then the last two were like oh yeah by the way we know you're a fan here you go um and it was just it was uh, uh, it was i was disappointed in the last two i I was disappointed and i already forgot what my second point was so whatever (laughs) carry on yeah i i don't even restarted with that I also I also felt the last episodes are very disappointing, especially after the setup when you see the planet. All right, they go through the you know they go through the they go through the Borg trans warp quant conduit, right? Which is cool. They're doing that if you're if you watch Voyager, like that's a cool thing that they access that. They get through and then immediately are greeted by these like orchid spaceships, which is pretty awesome. Yes, I love and it. then and then <laughs> like it's just different, and then. You get down to the planet, and I actually kind of like the fact that they're dressed like next generation extras because it, it, the costuming seemed a little like the civilian costume seemed a little jarring to me based off of watching the show. And I'm just that kind of like I don't understand why you need to redo the Klingons um, kind of person, but um, but it feels like they ran out of money because it's like you're they're clearly on a set for the remainder of the show. It feels very small. Again, you know, you've got the budget B-roll clip for the Vision. You've got Evil Soji um, giving Sutra. exposition, whatever, giving giving exposition on on uh, what what the Vision's all about. And we're supposed to take that at face value, like, oh, okay, so this is what it is, right? We're just I'm just going to explain it to you. And then they start making plans based off of what she's saying. And then we get then we get you know an updated version of the Picard maneuver as part of this, and then the part that got me the most and really irritated me a bit was why does every Starfleet ship is exactly the same? Like they copy and pasted the same graphics like all over. I thought for a second and, Riker was doing the same maneuver as Picard. <laughs> right, right. It 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 really felt like yeah. they had run out of money, and the, and but all of it is redeemed by by Riker in the captain's chair. Yeah. Um, See, that scene is awesome. Um, the, and then it gets way better. Thing, I, I was, but then I was gonna say, Oh, go, go ahead, Matt, go ahead. No, the only thing I want to interject so that I can keep my mouth shut and let you talk and quit hogging the episode. Cause that's what happens when I come back is the worst part is it didn't feel like they ran out of money. It felt like they ran out of passion. It was like, they were going so great with it. And then it was just, it literally felt like a season, two and a half episode of next generation where we had this amazing season that caught everybody's attention. We don't know where the crap we're going yet. So let's throw in some exploding head episodes with Federation people that just go watch the original show guys. Um, And it, it just felt like this horrible, awkward in between phase where they had an incredible thing going. They ran out of inspiration and they went with, let's just, dump in all of the nostalgia look and feel uh, of next and generation robot to keep them happy. <laughs> yeah and that's that's all so if, i won't interrupt you again but sorry i just wanted to throw I that didn't, in before i forget i see i guess i guess i was expecting something bigger than just like oh sentient beings from outside time and space um 
And what I was, I was legit. Part of it too, I think for me was hype in sense of where I thought things were going. I'm like, okay, you've got the Borg, you've got the Romulans. And then when you start revealing the idea that we're talking about sentient beings outside of time and space, I mean, artificial sentient beings, I thought, holy crap, we're going to have Q. Like I was expecting <laughs> Q in the finale because it, it's set up so perfect, right? The, the Federation has lost its way. Like it's, 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 I mean, I know it would probably just makes like a retread of, um, of, um, of um, all good things to have Q in this, but it seemed like it was set up for the, to maybe reveal that these artificial life forms, that Q is actually an artificial life form, it, and it, like that would have been awesome. Um, and 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 to have you know, um, it would have made Kana super mad because she hates Q episodes. <laughs> um, and so there was a part of me that just wanted to see her reaction if uh, if Q should have on screen, but. I, I felt like there was something more interesting they could have done than just tentacle monsters through a portal. That, that, and, yeah. that. and and that, you know, and so that I just that, that was kind of a letdown that that's what it was all building toward was just a shot of tentacles coming through a red portal. Um, but so it's weak connective tissue, but to the real heart. And this is the thing about the show is that it wasn't really about the spectacle. It's a It's a character study. And for it to then, you know, lead to Picard dying and to them, him sort of being in this like way station where he is having a conversation with the remnant of data is a, that's that's that to me is the real like climax of the show. The actual payoff. And for them, yeah, and the actual payoff. And for this really great little intimate moment between two and the two of them that gives data a really nice send off that whereas I wasn't necessarily dissatisfied with Nemesis. It is nice that you kind of get like a legit goodbye and some closure to the character. Um, and, you know, just to see Brent Spiner in the role one last time and that and that and just the really heavy idea of like, I can't really be human unless I die. Yeah. And so death being this necessary thing, which is important in our current world, I think, to talk about. Um and and so to have that, I think was really uh, that that redeems so much of the of the iffy stuff for me. Um, but I will yeah. go on record and say that I am not a fan of artificial life form Picard. Um, <laughs> I I don't know what else I could have done, but I'm just not a fan of that. But I Golem also know Picard. that. Yeah, I mean, I I do know that the um, that this was pitched to Patrick Stewart by. Um, uh, I can't remember the the show the the the, the producer or whatever the, the the woman who wrote the treatment. Yeah. She is like a well respected um, Voyager novelist. She writes the continuing stories of Star Trek Voyager. Really loved in the Star Trek fan community. She Picard took lunch with or um, Patrick Stewart took lunch with her to politely decline her offer to reprise the role, and came away signing onto a three season deal because she came up with a three season storyline. So I know that the arc <laughs> is bigger than than what we saw. Um, and I'm sure the second season is going to be dealing with Picard adapting to this sense of what is humanity. And now he's basically, you know, in data's shoes. He has reached um, technological singularity, baby. Yeah, baby. Um, and so, so I know that there's some interesting stuff coming, um, for the show, but I was really let down with those two episodes. Overwhelmingly, those final two episodes, I feel like, I feel like they're very forgettable in the long run. What's up, fun? I, I just had one. I just had one thought, which was, um, I, I, I'm really happy thinking back on it. I'm really happy that it ended up being a, a diplomatic solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that that, that, that felt true to character, and that Riker would 
be the that Riker would have to carry out Riker, who's much more action oriented, would have to carry out the cards wish one more time, you know, um, to, to not have a confrontation. Um, I, I love that. That felt like a good card. Thing. Yeah, so, uh, well, I, I feel and, I feel doubly rewarded in that aspect because I, I, even though there wasn't a space battle between those two, it was cool to watch Flowers have a space battle with the Romulans. That's the kind of Star Trek I like. <laughs> and and I will add two things because with Father Fun, I agree one hundred percent on the diplomatic thing, but also uh, Father Chuck there reminded me exactly when I told you that I was talking. And I forgot my second point the whole time. He nailed it dead on because my second thing was the whole thought of who else thought that when they said that they're going to summon this or this inorganic life form, who else thought that Q was going to show up at the end of the episode? (laughs) And when he didn't, I was completely disappointed, like 100 percent let down. And you could say, well, that goes against everything you say about fan service. It does. But at the same time, it doesn't. Because I feel like that would have nailed it so dead on if he's what showed up. And he shows up at the end, so you bring the the Borg storyline, you bring the Q storyline, the Picard storyline, all into one episode where they have to confront each other and say, because the Borg only know humanity because of Q in the first place. Like, he's the one who screwed it all up. So anyway... You bring it all back together in this whole perfect thing of like, what is humanity? What does it mean to have free will and power and the ability to make decisions? And is unlimited power, a.k.a. Q, or unlimited control and loss of freedom the way to go? Or is it that's in between a humanity? Like, to me, that would have fit so perfectly in this. And then tentacles came out and I wanted to cry. I wanted to cry. I did. I wanted to cry. But yeah, what if Q? The what if the I'll resolution say, was? Sorry, I was just thinking about what is what if the resolution was. Q. Q was the one to put Picard into the golem, and that was his oh like my next test or something. That would have been awesome. Q. Q's introdu- Q better be. And I know our podcast isn't influential enough to anybody be to be listening. But if somebody accidentally clicks on this, Michael Chabon better be in the. You better be in the freaking second season because as annoying, and I agree with Kana, I hate his episodes, and that's exactly why I love them. Oh, the Robin Hood episode is so Q to me is the ultimate, like, every time he comes on screen, I want to throw up and punch him in the face, and that's exactly why I hope he keeps showing up on screen. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I'm sorry, but that's my life. He we're getting Robert, and I'm like, I want to puke and hit you. Um, we're getting. And I have his we're... autograph, so I met him. Carry on. He's so great. I uh, yeah. I mean, we're getting Robert Picardo in the next season. Nice. The doctor is going to be in the next season. So awesome. like, you need you need some Q. You need some Q love. Or well, he's going to show up unless the show gets canceled. He's going to show up eventually, and it'll be great when he does. Hopefully, as well. Yeah. Yeah. The only way the only way they could make it better is if they find some way to get Benjamin Sisko to show up, you know, like what if what if he had been like the being from outside time and space, you know, because he had been with the prophets um, or Wesley Crusher, you know, we right? Because he with the traveler. I can't I can't believe. Yes. Didn't oh, my gosh. All. Yes. Even just his face on the screen. How, like, where where were the travelers in all of this? Patrick can't stand Wesley, so I love <laughs> 
Right there with you, buddy. All right, guys, I, I really got to go. Um, but I'll, 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 I'll end it with, with these thoughts of, of mine. Um, overall, I thought it was a really well done show. Um, you know, I wasn't annoyed by any kind of fan service or anything. And uh, I was really impressed that they kind of reined in on the nostalgia factor. And this whole prestige TV thing, it could probably be used against it if someone were so inclined. But that wasn't my intention. Um, I think that our love for Star Trek, I think every Star Trek fan's love for Star Trek, goes beyond the actual quality of the show. And more into what it's getting at, what it's trying to say, which is ultimately, you know, one of the things is that despite no matter what is happening in this universe, whether our dystopian Starfleet all of a sudden wants to 9-11 us, or uh, if the, if there's a, a tentacle synth monster outside of time trying to get to us, there's always the the chance for a better tomorrow. And it's worth hoping for, at least. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I think that's the great thing about Star Trek, and why I keep coming back to it, despite the first two seasons of TNG being some of the worst television I've ever seen in my life, and ever had to binge. Um, it was literally physically painful. Yeah, I I, I I went I got through it. I got through it. Um, but I say all that to say I, I still think it's a good show, and uh, I think that it was successful in what it was trying to do, and I loved seeing Patrick Stewart. One of the things I love so much about The Next Generation and why I keep going back to it is I love watching adults who know what they're doing resolve conflicts in a mature manner. <laughs> that is so that, you, that is my favorite so thing about Star Trek The Next Generation. So you love pure fantasy. Yeah. I agree. Go ahead. <laughs> Which is something I don't see quite often in the real world these days. Um, and it was good to see that as well in this show. Picard is 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 pure empathy to me. And it was it's refreshing to see characters like that who ha- are just made up of empathy and trying to show people like just just I don't want to say the light because that sounds so corny, but like, no, seriously, like, like when he told, uh, uh, Soji, like if the Starfleet hated you so much, they would be with the Romulans right now trying to rain down hell on you. You can, they, they'll, they'll help us. I thought that was a great little moment, you know, not super profound or anything, but it's like, these are adults who know how to like resolve conflicts. Imagine that you, you uh, you should you should definitely now watch season two of Discovery. I I want to I want to some of the, some of the best Star Trek that I've that I've seen. Wow, and we should and you know what? Uh, uh, join us again sometime in the future where we talk about Discovery. Before, before we add anything, let JP have his drop the mic moment because that was the perfect wrap up for this episode. <laughs> so just drop the mic, <laughs> JP. Sorry, I feel like I missed something. Um, wow! No, I was just going to remind. Okay. Yikes! Okay, I'll just I'll just sit back in my captain's chair, <laughs> off screen. I love that the uh, I love that the the way that that background is set up. By the way, is that like you you put some kind of rolling chair between like? The- <laughs> I'm way up you're, front. You're, I'm just, just I'm sitting, against the screen. You're sitting right in front of the view screen, JC. You're not in the. In no, the- I'm the captain. I sit in front of all of you. Like, you're the old guy who rolled up to the TV and everybody else is like, what the crap? Now we can't see they what's They keep happening. minimizing the screen. I don't know. You're, you're like me get it, sir. In front of the TV when I'm trying to play Animal Crossing. It is May. 
which means it's time for Music Mayhem. <laughs> and uh, for the first time in our show's history, I'm going first, which means uh, I get to announce our first album. And uh, I can't. And I need Matt to come back into view because I want to watch his reaction. Uh, I, I usually kind of preface these by 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 saying why I chose it. Hold on, Hold but on. I'm just gonna. Just, Go I'm ahead. just gonna. I'm gonna I'm pull the trigger. Mad. Just like pulling the trigger, I, I pull the trigger by choosing this. We're going with Nevermind by Nirvana. I'm in. It's time. I, I've been dancing right. around it for four years. It's time. Nevermind by Nirvana. <laughs> Chuck is so unimpressed. He's like, <laughs> he's like, duh. I'm like, isn't that that band that the guy from Foo Fighters started before he started the the, the good I'm one? Isn't that that, that, right? that band? That... <laughs> Weren't they a band or something? Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, I I'm glad because um, I started I started recently listening um, to Tori Amos. <laughs> And I, I never listened to her before, and I started listening to her because of her cover of Teen Spirit. Oh yeah, um, which has got me got me kind of reading up a little bit on on uh, on that era of Nirvana. So I'm actually kind of interested in, in this episode. That's kind of ironic because I I, would try, I listened to Puddle of Mud try to do a cover of Nirvana recently, and that's what got oh, me back into yes. it. <laughs> yeah, I I discovered the Tori Amos cover as a palate cleanser from that Puddle of Mud cover. <laughs> Someone's Patrick, gotta send that to fun. To see it if you have not. Yeah, yeah send it to me. <laughs> all right, I want to thank uh, Father <laughs> send Fun. Send it to all of us. Yeah, I want to thank Father Fun for joining us uh, once again for the first time in, in years. Seems like literally. Uh, and, thank and you so honestly, much, Father you Fun. Honestly, you've been more committed than me, so take my place. <laughs> <laughs> it's been at least thirteen months since I've been on. I, I think it's been a long time. So. I think the last Hamilton one. Was the last time you were on the show. Yeah, Hamilton. Oh, yeah, was on. he's man. Yeah, yeah. Two music mayhems ago. <laughs> uh, Father Chuck, thank you. You're welcome. And you always <laughs> pause. I'm just like, is he going to jump on this? Awkward pause. Hold on. Okay, I got to prepare for mine. Go ahead. And Matt was here too. Anyway, so join us again next time. <laughs> I'm out. I'm dead. <laughs> No, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the for, for the first time in a while. We're glad to see that you're okay and that you don't have coronavirus. Supposedly, I didn't. I didn't. By the way, hold on. Let me throw in this ten second thing. JP and Chuck decided it would be funny to make a joke that I missed the episode oh. because I had the coronavirus. I heard it. I, I heard then, it. <laughs> I then came home from work with a hundred and one point six degree fever. At which point, work made me go get tested for the coronavirus. And I have been, during my four days off, stuck in my room waiting for results just to find out the day before I go back to work anyway that they're negative. So, yay, I don't have it. All right. But Father Chuck and JP single-handedly wiped out my four days off with my family so that I could lock myself in a room. And then cry because tomorrow I get to wake up at 5.30 in the morning and start over again. So thank you. You're thank welcome. You I'm just glad you don't you have it because now I don't look like a jerk. <laughs> you read between the lines and you say goodnight. It's okay. Go ahead. Okay. Carry on. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, uh, leave a comment, uh, listen to us on all your whatever platforms. 
join us again next time next week hopefully listen to nevermind by uh, nirvana and good journey good journey good journey, good journey.